CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you as we always are every weekday afternoon at this time for a couple hours, for an hour as we get together answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current events, and what we uh, hear in church is it even in the Bible at all. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, that number to call again, 8888-ASK. CSN. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker weekends, and I believe soon to be going uh, on dailies here on CSN, John Randall from South Orange County, Calvary Chapel. I welcome. Hey, Mike. Great to see you back, man. It's good to have you back in the studio, and uh, we miss you, but glad you're here. Yeah, and so it's uh, it's good you're with us, and um I uh, look forward to answering some questions with all of you. What are you teaching on Sunday morning, John? Well, right now we're getting ready to go into a series the next couple of weeks on Behold the King, getting our church family ready for Christmas and really the the real reason for the season, which is Jesus. And so looking forward to that on Sunday morning, starting this week. And with so many kings in the world, we want to be sure you get the right one. You know, uh, you could... Uh, Think the king is Elvis. You can have a Burger King. You can have a lot of different kings, but there's only one real king, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones. 8888 Ask CSN is the number to call. And we're going to go to someone here. I don't know who yet. Um, I'm going to have to wait a second. There, we, we, I caught him by surprise. Normally, I'm, I'm, we're not this quick. You know, we, we do these kinds of things here. So, uh, We'll try Christy in California. Is that going to work? I don't know. Christy, are you on the line? I am. Thank you for taking my call. How I may really we help? Appreciate it. Um, I was just curious on regards of the, you know, the Gentiles and the actually Jewish people. They have, a, um, we have, the Gentiles don't have that kind of law that we need to follow, right? But when you are both, Half and half? What is? How does that work? Well, following the rules, as you might say, the Old Testament law, if you are Jewish, is not anything that grants you eternal life. Because the book of Galatians says that the law was the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. In other words, the law was never meant to justify a man. It was meant to show him how desperately he needed a Savior. In other words... God's standard is so meticulous, so high in distance from what we as human beings are capable of performing, that it showed us we needed something else other than ourselves to give us eternal life. This is why it's not by works of righteousness, Paul says, lest any man would boast, but rather it's because of what Jesus did for us. Paul says to put on Christ righteousness, like we put on a winter coat, we wrap God's righteousness around us. That's what makes us righteous, because the Bible says no good thing dwells in the flesh. And so because of that, 
The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The law was never meant to justify a man. It was meant to show us how desperately we need a Savior. John, your thoughts? Well, I also love the fact that I was thinking about um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. I agree with Mike that our righteousness comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. By the way, if you're not Jewish, that makes you a Gentile, just so you know. But but the fact that you have that heritage, it is a blessing. But um, just to have that connection to the people, to the land, etc. But what makes us righteous, of course, is the work of Christ. But in reality, Mike, we are all one in Christ, regardless of our ethnicity, which is so wonderful. That was God's plan to bring together one body called the church. Amen. And uh, so I, I hope that helps, Christy. Yes, it does. It does, really does. And it just clarifies how beautiful our Lord is, really. You know, yeah, how- see, see, we don't approach the Lord. And this is where a lot of the problems today, we find modern day Judaizers going around trying to get people, well, now that you believe in Christ, you got to get back under the law and keep those dietary laws of not eating pork and worshiping on Saturday and all those things. They profit nothing to your spirituality. And this is one of the great problems that we find today, because it's a spiritual arrogance generated in self that thinks they're better than you are because we keep the Sabbath. We don't eat certain kind of meats. We, we, you know, we, we keep to the Ten Commandments. Well, the fact of the matter is they don't at all. They may get in a building on a Saturday. But that's far, far, far away from what the Bible says keeping the Sabbath is. You weren't allowed to make anybody work on the Sabbath. So when they turn the lights on in their building and they ensure that the man down at the power company makes sure there's electricity flowing through those lines, or when they travel to their place of worship, you were only allowed in, in, in on Sabbath to travel so far from your house. And it wasn't very far, less than a mile. Yeah, they travel dozens of miles to go to Saturday worship. But you see, the thing is, I have nothing against anybody that worships on Saturday or Sunday. If you're a paramedic, your day of rest may be a Tuesday or a Thursday or a police or fire department. But for somebody to say, we're more spiritual than you are because we keep the Sabbath, when in fact they absolutely do not keep the Sabbath according to Levitical law. They keep it to their own interpretation. But friends, that ain't God's standards. And so when you find these people that that think that they have made themselves something by what they did rather than what Christ did, you know the focus is in the wrong place. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ, the author, finisher of our faith, not the law, not Jesus Christ and the law, Not by my meticulous keeping of the Ten Commandments and all the other laws. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what were Jesus' commandments? They weren't the Ten Commandments. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then he said, but the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then Jesus said something that knocks the wheels off the buses of all these people that say you have to worship on Saturday. Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets. Loving God, loving your fellow man. Because the fulfillment of the law is not found in us. It is found in Christ. Jesus said, so what I want you to do, I will fulfill the righteous commandments of the law. What I want you to do is love God and love your fellow man, because upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Wow, what a wonderful, what a wonderful Savior we have. It's not by works of righteousness, lest any man would boast, Jew or Gentile, but it's upon the finished work of the cross in Jesus Christ. Christy, I hope that helps. It does tremendously. Thank you so very much for, I'm so grateful for you guys that, that you guys are around. Seriously, it just makes, it makes it so much better. Yeah, well, Christy, we love being here for you. Listen, stay on the line. I got a special thing I'm giving everybody, um, uh, the movie Jesus. This is great. Uh, it's the most accurate thing. You know, you see these other things, the chosen, it doesn't hold a candle to this, the movie Jesus. Um, based on the Genesis Project, uh, the book of Luke, and it is fabulous. I'll send that to you as well as Evolution versus God, uh, God of Wonders, Time to Grow, and 101 Last Days Prophecies. And Merry Christmas, dear. Stay in line. We'll get you fixed up, okay? Thank you. God bless you. Let's go to Linda, Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, welcome. Hi, how are you doing, pastors? Good. How may we help? Uh, well, I have a really simple question. Uh, I've heard different pastors say that Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and uh, the other fellow, I can't, uh, were made eunuchs. Um, is that true? Possibly. Very possibly. It was pretty common for conquered wise men to be modified to be sure that their business was not chasing the ladies, but being the wise seers and seekers of of spiritual things. And so this was very possibly uh, um, that. Your thoughts, John? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 20, in verse 18, I think one of the reasons why people suggest that Daniel could have been a eunuch. For one thing, as was mentioned there in Babylon, it was during a time when that was very common. But the second reason is found in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 18, when it was prophesied to King Hezekiah concerning judgment that would come upon his eventual descendants, where it says, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, will be taken away and shall be eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. And so some people assume that that must mean Daniel and his friends because they weren't married and perhaps that was the case. Another example of this is in Daniel chapter 1 in verse uh, 3 it is when it indicates that Daniel and his friends were under the authority of the chief eunuch, a man whose name was Ashpenaz, and they were to report to the chief of eunuchs. So if he's the chief of eunuch, does that mean that Daniel and his friends were? Again, the Bible doesn't say that it is so and we can't be dogmatic, but it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, and would would appear that way. I, I think based upon uh, based upon that. So 
I, I hope that helps, Linda. Yeah, sure does. Thank you very much. Linda, stay in line. We'll send you out the, the package of the DVDs we're sending everybody, including that uh, that uh, DVD, the uh, movie Jesus, based on the book of Luke. I think you'll really like that. Let's go to Linda again, we find in Nebraska. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, speaking of your Jesus movie, my question is actually about The Chosen. I have heard that either the producers or directors are Mormon, and then it has Mormon influence. And I just wanted your thoughts on that. I believe that it does, because I, I don't have the information in front of me. I probably have it for you by the end of the show. But in one of the most recent uh, Chosens, they actually quote from the Book of Mormon in it. Now, this would cause concern for me watching this, The problem is only about 10% of what you see in The Chosen is actual Bible. And so a lot of people begin to believe what they see rather than really what the Word of God says. And since most people don't read their Bibles very well or much, they begin to believe that what they're seeing is really what happened. But like I say, and I believe the quote was Jesus said, and it's a quote out of the Book of Mormon where um, in the in, in the chosen, Jesus said, I am the law. Jesus never said that he was the law. And I think it's very, very important when we start seeing these shards being mixed in with something that is basically be, being presented as pure Christian, when now we're finding um, uh, verses and quotations out of the Book of Mormon in the chosen. And uh um, so I, I hope, um, I, I hope that that, uh, helps Linda. I'll try to get you a little more information on that. If I can have, uh, somebody down in, in, uh, the control room, bring me that. I had it here on my desk and it, it vanished, but I'll, I'll tell you what series, uh, up in that chosen it was in and, uh, what, uh, what program number it was. So uh, I hope that will will help a little bit there. So, Linda, yeah. I, I, you got any other things on it, John? I don't. Uh, I don't think I can comment in a way that I, I've seen some of the things that have, have been. I actually saw Dallas Jenkins respond to the question on Mormonism. And I think you could go to Instagram. You could look up Dallas Jenkins and he actually comments, I believe, on some of these concerns that people have. If I'm not mistaken, some of the concern has to do with the fact that um, they say that the Mormon church is involved in the production or they're using some places that were owned by the Mormon church. And so therefore they are promoting Mormon theology. And what I have noticed, because I think Dallas, the producer, uh, takes some of those uh, challenges on or those things that have been said. And he explains and he actually does explain, Mike, that specific quote and uh, and his thoughts behind it. I do think it is, you know, when you're making a film about Jesus, I mean, you have to be careful because I think, you know, it's not like you're just making some fictional story. I I think you have to be careful with it. Has God used the chosen? He has. I mean, he's used it in a lot of ways. I've seen uh, some of the fruit of it. But again, I I couldn't comment dogmatically on that particular quotation, but I do know that he does respond. And I'd be curious to find out more. Yeah, the quotation is from Nephi 3 in uh, the Book of Mormon. And in the chosen, this is what is quoted. Jesus says, I am the law. 
Jesus never said that he was the law. So just to clarify that this, these are the, the problems that I see where there are, um, uh, streams of darkness into light and corners, you might say. I think this is where part of it is. And number two, because people don't read their Bible, they begin to believe what they see, thinking that it is. Now, what I'm sending out to you, Linda, uh, the movie Jesus, what you see there really is in the Bible. And if it isn't in the Bible, it's not in the movie. Um, now, there's a couple others movies that are there. They took some liberties, the story of Mary Magdalene and, and the gospel according uh, for, for children. It's where like kids would be telling the story. Uh, those are those are cute. But the movie Jesus itself is is excellent. It's probably the most accurate of anything that I've seen concerning uh, the Bible. So you, you check that out. I, I, I'll send that to you but that will be of a great help to you, okay? Okay, thank you very much. We'll get you taken care of. With that, we will go to Gail in Jordan Valley, Oregon. Hi, welcome. My question is, um, my adult children's father passed away a few months ago, and my daughter told me that she had a dream that she saw her father, he came to her, and was happy and healthy and doing very well. And she also said that she has had similar similar dreams about other family members that have passed in the last few years. And I just wondered if there's any possibility that, um, that she could be visited by, I don't know, by an angel or by um, a spirit or something like that. Well, we do know that uh, the devil is able to transform himself into an angel of light. So uh, for him to transform himself into anything else, to me, would not be probably very hard. I think maybe sometimes that may even be what people are seeing in the UFO world. If he can transform himself into an angel of light, hey, you know, a silver cigar looking thing in the sky. Oh, yeah, okay, we'll buy that. I don't know. But the Bible forbids us trying to contact the dead. Absolutely. John, your thoughts? Well, I think, um, you know, for, for a child, and again, I'm not sure, Gail, how old your daughter is and, um, I, and, and what, I know that God is the God of all comfort. I, I don't want to be the one to say that God can't speak through dreams because it seems to indicate in the book of Acts chapter two and verse 17 that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. I mean, God does use dreams in the past, but your question, was she visited by a spirit or by an angel? I don't know that that would necessarily be the case, but perhaps God is providing comfort that she needs to know that her dad is okay. I'm not really sure. Grief is an interesting thing too. When you're going through grief and when you're going through loss, um, I've heard different things from different people through the years pastorally where they've said this or they saw that or they heard this. And and I, I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but I hope that your daughter is comforted, if I can say that, that to be absent from the body, if you're a Christian, is to immediately be present with the Lord. And if her dad's born again and he's a believer, then he is in the best place imaginable. That I can, I can confirm. Amen. So uh, I hope that answers it for you, Gail. That does. She was very comforted. And thank you. Stay online. We'll send you out a couple of uh, DVDs. And again, the movie Jesus, I think you'll really enjoy. And um, um, sorry about your loss. And we'll continue to uh, 
keep you in prayer. You know, again, I, I think now was he a was he a believer? Yes. Okay. Well, you know, I I do believe God comforts us. Um, I, I I think we need to be careful sometimes uh, in in what we see. The Bible says, "Bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ." And oftentimes, whether it's in a dream or just in in, in thinking. Uh, we have to say, well, now is this really God? Is this really what the Lord would do? Say, what is? It, how does it line up with His with His Word? I think there's a lot of issues there that we need to be very careful of. But uh, again, I uh, I realize that just as you said, John, when people lose somebody, there's a lot of emotions that yeah. are going on there. Stay mm-hmm. online, Gail. We'll get you taken care of. I think you'll really enjoy these and get them into your family's hands. Okay. Thank you. God bless you, and thanks so much the call. Let's go to Ian in Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Um, my question is, uh, I've got uh, two scriptures that seemingly contradict each other, and I just want somebody to explain it to me. So uh, 1 Timothy 6.16, uh, God dwells in unapproachable light. And then 1 Kings 8.12, where it says he dwells in thick darkness. Actually, the Bible says he not only does that, but he lives in all times present, too. I don't know anything like that. We know that in him is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So even if he was—David said something interesting. He said, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I descend into Sheol, which we commonly call hell, you're there. Where do I go to get out of your presence? Now, that would seem like a contradiction where, where the Bible says, well, God could live in heaven or God could live in Sheol. But the point is, God is everywhere. He's all times present and lives in light, in darkness, all those things. Now, in him there's light and in there's no darkness at all, the Bible says. So even in the darkness or even in the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because he's with us. John, your thoughts. Well, Psalm 139, verse 12, is which I think that is what you're alluding to, Pastor Mike, that it does say that darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Yes. I don't I don't think that it's necessarily it's not a contradiction because the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but God does dwell in approach in unapproachable light. That is true. But darkness doesn't hide anybody from man because God's everywhere all the time. He is omnipresent, he is all powerful, and he's also, by the way, the creator of light. And also darkness. You go back to, for example, Genesis. In Genesis. Yeah, and it tells us there that God created both and one to rule and one to rule the day and one to rule the night. But I think also in the context of what kind of light are we talking about? You know, God's glory. He dwells in unapproachable light. But man can't hide from God. So I don't think it's a contradiction. I think there are just two truths explaining the nature of God, that he is everywhere all the time. And there's no difference between light and darkness to the Lord because he's God. He's infinite and omnipresent. And that's what makes the birth of Jesus so unusual, because God stepped out of eternity into time and was born in a manger. Now, friends, that's incredible, because God lives in all times present. We find this in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 22, where it says, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last. All present tense verbs. He lives in all times present. 
He knows more about tomorrow than we remember about yesterday. That's why one-third of the Bible is prophecy. Two-thirds of it has already come true because God already knows the beginning to the end. That's why the Bible talks about us being predestined. We're predestined in that he knows what choices we make. So that's good news. God doesn't learn. God doesn't love you one day and go, oh, no, he's going to blow it tomorrow. Oh, I hope he doesn't. Oh, man. No, he lives in all times present. He knows. That's why the Bible says he sees us seated in heavenly places with him. Well, why do we have to go through this zoo called living that we all face every day? It's for our benefit, friends. God already knows what we'll do. We don't know what we're going to do. And I believe this is all part of the training grounds of ruling and reigning with Christ. As the Bible says, those that love him will do someday. Hope that helps, Sin. Oh, it's great. Great answer. Thank you very much. Yen Stay Alliance, send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, and the movie Jesus. You'll really like the one on Jesus, especially on the book of Luke. So stay online. Merry Christmas to you. Linda in uh, Nebraska. Hi, welcome. Hello? Yes, hi. Oh, hi. I'm I'm Linda in Nevada. I, I know you had one earlier from, from Nebraska, but I'm Linda in Nevada. So, Pastor Mike, I know, uh, hi, pastors. I know, Pastor uh, Mike, you would know about this. We have family members that are in this worldwide church of something. I, I, I just can't remember. They worship sundown uh, Friday night to sundown Saturday night. They yep. go to a feast somewhere. And the largest problem with it for me, our kids are grown, so now we talk more often, and you really don't want to alienate. But the biggest problem for me is they think they're from the lost tribe of Manasseh. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, un- unfortunately, uh, again, what you already quoted, John, there's neither Jew nor nor Gentile. Uh, you know, we have to realize we don't go to heaven because we're Jewish or non-Jewish. We go to heaven because our faith is in Jesus Christ. And this is what is so important. Worshiping on the Sabbath was a covenant that God made to the Jewish people during the time of the law. It would identify them, that God would take care of them. Six days thou shalt work in the Ten Commandments. On the seventh you'll rest. I know people who won't work any day of the week. They don't work six days and then take a rest on the seventh. They're lazy. They're bums. They won't do anything. I know other people that are workaholics, and they'll work on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on and on and on, never stopping to stop and smell the roses, as the old worldly saying goes. Well, you see, again, we don't go to heaven because of our works. We go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us. Linda, we're going to talk more about this on the other side of the break. John, I want your input on it, and we'll talk a little bit more about The Chosen as well. We'll be right back. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is frustrating. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65 Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. 
And it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second month share will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. As the days grow darker, children are under more attack than ever, and it starts at conception. Sadly, one in five pregnancies will end in abortion. But in the midst of this awful tragedy, there is something you can do about it. Preborn Pregnancy Clinic's mission is to equip pregnancy centers nationwide to help save babies' lives and souls. And every day, Preborn Clinics rescue 150 babies' lives by introducing mothers to their babies on ultrasound. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. Preborn Clinics are the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing moms to their preborn babies. To learn how you can help rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855 668 BABY. That's 855 668 BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. Welcome me back to part two of Every Man and Answer here on this Tuesday afternoon with John Randall. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and uh, we was we were we were visiting with Linda when we went to the break and uh, talking about uh, and it's probably the Worldwide Church of God and uh, uh, you know you you have these fragmented groups that believe that in keeping the Sabbath it makes it more spiritual. It doesn't do anything for your spirituality. Nothing. Again, it's so sad. Um, I do believe there should be a day that we all take off a week to enjoy the the blessings of God. But it makes you, it doesn't make you any more spiritual. You don't go to heaven because you worship on Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday. You go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross. And by denying that, they are denying the blood of Christ, saying, no, the blood of Christ was not enough. You got to get out there and earn it by doing all kinds of religious stuff like worshiping on Sunday and not eating that BLT sandwich. You see, this is a problem, friends, because they mix paganism, they mix the law, they mix a works trip in with the blood of Christ. And see, this is the great problem. There is always an attempt by the devil to dilute or to to uh, completely remove what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us and get it back to a works trip. You see, that's why the Bible says we have the assurance of salvation because our faith is in Christ. But if you're in a works trip, commingling it with maybe Jesus or good works or being a great civitan or some other, you know, civically minded 
you know, uh, community project, you're in trouble. Because you can't say for sure that you know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Because it's based on your works. Well, I, I just hope I kept the Sabbath enough. I just hope I, golly, I hope I didn't get a piece of pork in that in that sandwich I ate. I, I don't know, man, that salami might have had some pork in it. I don't know. You see, it's not by works of righteousness lest any man would boast. And that's exactly what they do. Your thoughts, John? Well, the beliefs of the Worldwide Church of God started by Herbert W. Armstrong. And what you need to know about the Worldwide Church of God is that their beliefs are rooted in misinterpretation of Scripture. For example, uh, Armstrong believed that modern-day Jews are not the true physical descendants of Israel. He believed that the lost tribes of Israel had actually migrated to Western Europe, and that the present-day British Americans actually are heirs of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a little bit of replacement theology right there, which, by the way, the Bible does not teach. The church does not replace Israel. Israel is Israel, and the church is the church. In addition to that, Armstrong taught that death for one is in a sleep-like state until Jesus returns to the earth, and there would be, he taught, actually three separate resurrections. And the philosophies of Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God, they're just worldly philosophies. And they deny the only means of salvation, which is the exchange at the cross of our sin for the righteousness of Christ. And so I would say to our listeners, Mike, that when you come across these things that contradict the Word of God, here's what you know. It's false. And there might be a little bit of truth mixed in, but when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you realize that's a false teaching. So do not become a member of the Worldwide Church of God in this context. So I hope that helps, Linda. Yes, you know what? You know what? Now now I am getting how they think that they are the lost tribe, Manasseh. They think, so you're saying that um, they think that these Jews migrated to Great Britain, England, wherever, wherever, that area of the world. So that's very helpful. Thank you yeah, very much. Well, and, and they I, get I don't it. know how to respond to it. <laughs> well, they, they get it from from the word ish in Hebrew means man. So you have the Danish, you have the English, Dan's man. See, this is where they they come up with this. But we also can say foolish as well, because again, the idea that the tribes of Israel are lost was not found in the Bible. That is something man has conjured up. I don't think God ever lost track of his tribes. And I think they're very clearly laid out there. And again, as you look at the 144,000 Jews in Revelation chapter 7 from the 12 tribes of Israel, certainly they're not lost. And now with the advent of DNA, and most Jewish families very clearly tell their children what tribe they're from, even to this day, because they know. So when you understand that the tribes of Israel are clearly identified there in Revelation 7 as an example, to be God's witnesses during the tribulation period, hey, I want to go in the rapture. I don't want to be one of the 144,000 Jews. I, I want to go uh, when, when Gabriel blows, we're out of here. That's the rapture. God's 144,000 men that are virgins— that are from the 12 tribes of Israel, and then just so nobody can mess it up, list the 12 tribes. I never find anywhere in the Bible that they were lost. 
And so this is something that they have added in, but this is where they get it. And uh, it's a, a real strange concoction the way they have come up with it. And of course, the idea of soul sleep, you, you know, you just like, that is anti-scriptural. We remember Jarius's daughter, who uh, was grievously ill. Jarius came to Jesus, and while Jarius is talking to Jesus, the servants came and said, Trouble the master no more, your daughter is dead. And Jesus looked at him and said, Let's go to your home. And Jesus went, he went in, closed the doors, and he said, Daughter, arise. And the scripture tells us these exact words, and her spirit returned to her. It does not say her spirit woke up within her. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings, we find the same story concerning Elijah, brings a little boy back to life. And the Bible says his spirit returned to him. It never says his spirit woke up. Well, what about in the book of Acts where they stoned Stephen and it says he fell asleep? That is talking about his body. But the Bible tells us to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And even the more so Jesus, when he gave the story of the rich man and Lazarus, neither of them were in suspended animation. But the rich man clearly knew who Lazarus was. Send him over here, dip his finger in the water, cool my tongue, I'm tormented in the flame. Jesus never used proper names in a parable. I believe it was a true story. That's the indication. But it's fortified all the way through the Bible, and where Paul says to be absent from this body, this tent, is to be present with the Lord. So uh, we find very clearly, all the way through the Bible, the idea of soul sleep, is bunk. And again, talking about a person's shell, this old tent, yeah, it's going to go to sleep. It's going to lay in the dirt, but I ain't here no more. You see, the Bible tells us when Gabriel blows, uh, the dead in Christ rise first, that spirit that's been with the Lord, enjoying everything in heaven, is going to come back to a reunited, reformulated body, a body like Christ. Just as Jesus was dead for three days, three nights, we find that Jesus comes back to life. We find we're going to come back to life with a body, I believe, at the time of it is very important, right before the millennial reign of Christ, where we will rule with him on this earth for a thousand years. Uh, Jesus very clearly looked at the disciples and said, look, touch me. I'm not a ghost. You got anything to eat? Yet he could vanish out of their sight. Now, again, that's going to be a very effective body for law enforcement in the millennial reign of Christ. I believe that anybody that's died in Jesus right now is not lacking anything in heaven. But when we come back to rule and reign with him, we are going to need some type of a body like Jesus had. Paul says, we're not exactly sure what we're going to be, but we know when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to get a body like his. And I believe that body will use to rule and reign with Christ on this earth. Linda, I hope that helps. Stay in line. I'll send you out some books, some DVDs. And uh, again, just pray for them. And again, read the book of Galatians. That's going to probably give you the very best 
uh, defense and, and, and stance that you're going to need to present truth to them. The reason Galatians was written was for this exact reason. The Judaizers came back into the church trying to get Christians under the law saying, well, you're not really saved unless you keep this, Jesus and something else. And whenever you find that, you got problems. So, Linda, I hope that helps. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay in line. We'll send you out books, DVDs, 8888. Ask CSN's number to call, and we'll go to Sean in Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. So uh, this kind of trails off to the end of that. Uh, so after the rapture, we come back, and I'm supposing for the millennial reign like that. And so we have the resurrected bodies, but are there people on the earth still with their normal bodies? And how does that look for the interaction between the two? And do they still die and get sick and, and things like that, like normal? Or Yeah, exactly, Sean. You got it right. The Bible says during the millennial reign of Christ, uh, um, somebody that man's life span will not be just, you know, 80, 90, 100 years anymore. It's going to go back to almost a thousand years because uh, he's going to make all things new on this earth back the way it was in the garden. Putting man in a perfect environment with perfect government, perfect food. And in all that, man still rebels against God, which proves the old sin nature is true. It is not our environment that caused this to be evil. It's that we were born with an old sin nature, and God once and for all proves it to all humanity forever. You put man in a perfect environment, in a perfect government, perfect everything, and he will still rebel because of that old sin nature. And I believe, in part, that's what a lot of the thousand-year reign is about, is to prove to all humanity, that we were not good born. We were born in sin. And this proves it. The old saying, you, when you sin, it doesn't make you a sinner. It proves what you are. Well, that's, I believe, what we're going to find there. But yes, people will be, that will make it through the tribulation period. They will be in regular bodies. I believe women will have kids during the millennial reign. All these kinds of things will go on. If a person dies, the Bible says, as 100 years old, they'll consider him a child because of the longevity, once again, that we have. Now, they will not live again. Those that die during the millennia will not live again until the great white throne judgment. Some raised to everlasting life, those that died in faith, and those that died... They will all stand, them as well as all of humanity will stand before the Lord at that great white throne judgment. The Bible says the sea gave up the dead that was in it. That's not talking about people who died in a submarine. That's talking about everybody that died in the flood. Probably somewhere around 7 billion people. They're all going to stand and give an account of what they knew about God. And with their name is not in the Lamb's book of life, they get cast in the lake of fire that burns forever where the false prophet and Satan is. So it's going to be an interesting picture that we find during that time. John, your thoughts. Well, Sean, I was thinking about part of your question where you asked, what is going to be our interaction with those during the millennial reign? And there's a lot about the millennial reign of Christ that we don't fully know that the Bible doesn't describe entirely. Of course, as Pastor Mike pointed out, the conditions and what it will be like, a perfect rule, perfect reign. Well, what are we going to be doing? Well, here's what we know. According to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that we know that when Jesus has appeared, that we are going to be like him. 
And so we're going to be in our glorified body. Well, what are we going to be doing? And I feel like I get asked that question so often. Well, well, what are we going to do? And you have these misinterpretations. Well, we're just going to hang out there and play harps, uh, jumping from cloud to cloud. No, no, heaven's way better than that. And our future is much brighter than that. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. People say, well, well, what does that mean? It means we're going to rule and reign with Christ. <laughs> He's going to have jobs for us to do, and we're going to be doing it. For his- <laughs> Amen. That's what we're going to be up to. So hope that answers it for you. Yeah, thanks so much. Stay in line. Send you out the the DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy. Great for evangelism. And uh, share them with your friends. Merry Christmas. Let's go to Dolores in Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good. How may we help? Yes, I was listening. And earlier, uh, a girl called in about her daughter, um, having dreams, and um, I know that God has gifted me uh, to help people interpret their dreams through scriptures. Do do you all believe that? Well, I do believe there is the interpretation of dreams. I certainly uh, Joseph in the Bible had that. Uh, Jacob had that. Uh, we we see people in the Bible that that had dreams. Um, uh, I think sometimes. Uh, dreams can be directly given by God. It tells us that in Acts chapter 2, your old men will dream dreams. Um, I also believe that we are to not believe every spirit that comes because um, sometimes, you know, I, I heard it said one time that dreams can be a direct revelation from God. Uh, and many times people who get gift of, of prophetic uh, word uh, we'll we'll see things or pr- like a vision or a dream. I think other times late night pizza will give you bad dreams as well. So, uh, John, your thoughts? Well, I do believe, as you pointed out, Mike. There's Joseph. There's Jacob. There's Daniel, who was called yeah, upon more. Than lot, many of them. Yeah, we know that you have. Even Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the fact you have the ability to to tell what these things mean. But I do think when in, and it comes to quote interpreting dreams that um, it'll never contradict scripture. It's never going to tell you something that would contradict what God's already revealed in his word. And that's how you're able to determine and discern whether these things are accurate or not. And so um, I always ask God to confirm these things, confirm it through your word. And I think that's the best way to know if something is from him or it's not from him. And so, yes, God can do whatever he wants to do. And yes, he he can speak through people as it relates to interpretation. Yeah. You know, something else interesting too, uh, in that book of Acts chapter two, where it says your old men will dream dreams. I always thought that that always was just talking about believers. But as you look in the Bible, many people who were not believers got messages supernaturally from God. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, as an example, how Joseph was brought out of the prison to interpret the dream that Pharaoh had. And so I believe that even today, I I hear all kinds of reports all the time where in many of those in the Islamic faith are having dreams of Jesus Christ. He's revealing himself. Now, why does he do that? Well, the Bible says, when you seek me, you'll find me. When you search for me with all your heart, not seeking after religion, but, you know, God, I really want to know you. And even in the midst of paganism, I believe God will reveal himself and I believe that's what's happening in, 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 in these last days that we're in, which I believe also fulfills 
that Acts 2 prophecy because we're seeing many people around the world God is supernaturally communicating to. Non-believers, as we might say, just as it was with Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, um, um, many of these people in the Bible who were getting dreams that were not believers, but God was communicating to them. So, no, I believe the Lord's God does have that. Uh, dreams, interpretation of dreams. I think we need to be be very careful. Uh, but again, always lining up with God's Word. The Lord's hope that helps. Well, I just wanted to um, be a source to uh, Gail's daughter, um, if that was something, because we have to be careful, uh, like you said, um, it has to line up with God's Word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So Dolores, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think we have their number, but but um it is uh it is unique and I have seen people certainly absolutely uh Joseph had that dream, uh, that uh, that gift to interpret dreams. And uh whether it was the butler and the baker or whether it was Pharaoh, uh right on every time. So um Dolores, I hope that that helps. And um, be sure to use that gift. Stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. Very quickly, going back to The Chosen, I just want to read so people don't. In episode eight of The Chosen TV series, uh, they have uh, Jesus declare, I am the law of Moses. This is not taken from the Bible, but taken from the Book of Mormon, 3 Nephi 15.9, where this book is saying, Jesus says, I am the law and the light. Jesus never said that he was the law, because that would put us back under the law of Moses. So when we understand that a little shard here and a little shard there can begin to work its way in, You say, Mike, what's a shard? You ever dropped a glass in a carpet and it broke? And you have though you pick up the big pieces, but every once in a while, your toe finds a shard of glass in the carpet. It isn't the rest of the carpet that hurts your feet. It's the shards that are getting in there that can cause a lot of problems. You see, I believe that the devil will mix a thousand truths to sell you one lie. Jesus is not the law. He was the fulfillment of, of the law. He is the one that came and all the things that the law required, Jesus met those things. He wasn't the law. He was the fulfiller of the righteous requirements of the law. Again, this is in episode eight of The Chosen, quoting the Book of Mormon, Nephi, 3 Nephi 15.9. Be careful. Let's go to Joey, Montana. Hi, welcome. Thank you. My question is, um, when the disciples were out on the water and Jesus came walking across, they were terrified, thinking he was a ghost. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, touch me, feel me, I have a body, I'm not a ghost. Mm -hmm. Does that imply that there are such things as ghosts? Because he didn't say, what are you talking about, a ghost? There is no such thing. He did reply, I'm not one. Your thoughts? 
John? Well, I think there's always been a fascination with the paranormal, even even in those days, you know, and there's a lot of superstitions and so forth. But are there actually ghosts? To answer that question, no, there are not ghosts. But I'll tell you this, there are demonic spirits who Absolutely. can to uh, that they are something. Even the devil can come as an angel of light and seek to deceive people. So when you see these people in these paranormal shows or these, you know, going after these, we think it's an alien or we think it's that it, demonic spirits seek to lead people astray from the truth and into lies. So yes, I do not believe that there are quote unquote ghosts going out haunting, etc. but more demonic spirits seeking to deceive people and they use different things. So I think those in reference, whether that was a reference to uh, maybe a common theme in those days that I, I saw a ghost or I, I'm not really sure. It's a great question you ask, but no, there aren't any ghosts today. So I hope that helps. That helps very much. Thank you very much. And I imagine they were pretty terrified because that's not something you normally see walking on the water in the middle of a storm. <laughs> so uh, I think it's pretty amazing, actually, what Jesus did. You know, there's a few little caveats there, too. Another time Jesus was crossing the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up. This is in the book of Luke. And it says that they woke Jesus. Now, he's in a boat, asleep on the cushions, the Bible says. They woke Jesus up to say, we're going down with the ship. We're all going to die. Now, and Jesus gets up, calms the wind and the water. They said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, here's what's so amazing to me. Jesus fell asleep on a boat that was about ready to sink with waves, water splashing on him, and he was that exhausted from ministry. That was a king that I love. Hope that helps. Joy, stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll enjoy. Let's go to Dave in Colorado. Hi, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, God bless you for all you do for God's people. Uh, my call is pretty quick. Uh, my, my question is twofold. Um, so it's a millennial reign question. So we're, the, the church is taken out of the world. We're in heaven with Jesus. The, the, the tribulation period is over. All the, the people in the earth who reject Jesus Christ have been judged. Jesus is sitting on David's throne. Where does that people group come from? And secondly, why does Jesus need a rod of iron to rule the nations? Well, first of all, we still have that old sin nature. John, your thoughts? Well, a rod of iron is just giving us an indication of, of the way in which things will be established. No one's going to be able to rebel. It's not that there's going to be some government that, because the government's now going to be upon his shoulders, not like today, uh, on the shoulders of those in the, uh, in the, in our capital. It's going to be on his shoulders. So you're not going to be able to rebel and so forth. But listen, people will have a choice in those days, um, whether they're going to, at the end of the millennium, whether they're going to serve the Lord or not. So I think it's just a rod of iron just means it is a perfect, perfect rule. There, there's no rebellion during that time, at least for that question. So I, I hope that answers it for you, because again, um, uh, those that make it through the tribulation will be the ones that did not take the mark of the beast. Very clearly, it says you take the mark of the beast, you damn your soul forever. That's what the Bible says. Um, the Bible says that uh, all sins will be forgiven man except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Bible says God will forgive sins, I believe he, he, he will forgive sins unless noted in Scripture. The mark of the beast is one that's noted as well as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
and probably the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the mark of the beast kind of go hand in hand there because you got to really reject God to take the mark. Hope that helps. Stay line, Dave. Thanks, John, for being on. God bless you. See you tomorrow. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 